is time for you to join an order. And might I suggest joining the circle? It is the order which is the backbone of the civilization. It is what keeps the law and order of the yeah, land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff it, boring guy. How about instead you join Morana? Because money. Who doesn't like money, right? You have powers, and you can use those powers to get money. You see where I'm going with this? Morana, Morana, you know, you and the circle, you're both boring. Come to where's the parties at, Greg. We've got parties. We got, I mean, hedonism up the wall. Let's go. I, I, I'm just going to be a nomad. A nomad? Get out of my house. Get out of the city. Now. Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, I'm joined by Greg. Hey there. Awaken, a dark fantasy RPG. But first, let's jump in and talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, we've had uh, a good couple of games lately. We got to try out Wingspan. Oh yeah. Which is a fantastic, like, very scientifically robust game from a local game designer, Elizabeth Hargrave. And... We loved it. You've basically got an apiary. No, aviary? Whatever. You've got one of those, and you're trying to attract different birds and get them to lay eggs and make sure that they're fed and have proper synergies and all of that, and you're trying to do this in order to score the most points. Yeah, and it's all done based on the cards that you have. You you go ahead and you play those into your... Uh, your habitats and things like that and then you then get to use actions to you know collect food get the birds to lay more eggs find other birds to get and every bird card there is unique and the actions are really interesting they each have something slightly different they have slightly different amounts of points there's slightly different amounts of eggs that they can have different nests and there are also like overarching goals that everyone is working to it's a really really interesting game oh yeah and i mean it's fantastic it's gorgeous all the illustrations of the birds themselves are really well done the player mats are fantastic they're this beautiful depiction of an aviary with multiple habitats all in all it's just a a gorgeous game wonderful quality components and i mean we love it be on the lookout for more stuff yeah for sure like there's there's gonna be a lot we'll probably have a stream at some point an interview talking to elizabeth hargrave and maybe even a board game bistro. Besides that, I had a chance to play a Christmas gift, actually, called Unstable Unicorns. Okay. I've never played Exploding Kittens, but I am told that it is similar to Exploding Kittens, but just fun and cute. <laughs> more fun and more cute and less like randomly violent and grotesque. And I think that that was appropriate. I mean, there's still ridiculous you know flying i'm sure there was a drunken unicorn in there somewhere extremely destructive unicorns but the art is hilarious and adorable and it really actually it feels to me a lot like magic the gathering but more constrained more fast-paced and pretty fun plays two to seven i believe oh nice that's a good range yeah it's a it's a solid like sort of light party game Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean obviously with a unicorn theme but i i look forward to playing it again i'll probably bring it here sometime and we'll all play it while we're kicking waiting for the stream to start there we go or even on stream if we really want to hey and i didn't really get to play too many board games lately because i was in seattle for podcon Uh, and while i was there i got to meet a lot of really awesome people podcasters of every genre and every every type so anyone who i saw there thank you so much it was awesome 
you guys really made it an amazing experience. So hopefully I'll be back at the next PodCon because it was awesome. And yeah, so I'm really looking forward to, you know, using what I learned at PodCon, everything from like some tips and tricks of the editing to some things about how, you know, you may have noticed our intro is a little bit different this week. We, we're, we're changing a few things up, but they're all relatively minor. Hopefully uh, they all are relatively good too. Yeah, let us know. And uh, yeah, for anyone who's just joining us, thanks for tuning in after PodCon. It was it was awesome to, to meet you all and hope that you guys enjoy the podcast. Yeah, and there you go. That's a look at what we've been playing and doing lately. Long ago, in the land of Salvora, two ancient and powerful beings, Asimoth and Zemitra, came seeking refuge from an internal conflict that racked their realm. Finding such a refuge, they settled here. But they grew lonely, and so they decided to elevate a race, the most prominent race on Salvora, humans. They fought. Zemitra wanted them to be mindless servants, while Asimoth wanted them to have free will. And in the end, Asimoth triumphed. The second ones, as they were known, were servants, but more. They possessed gifts due to their proximity to the gods, due to the blood that literally flowed through their veins, and their power was tremendous. They unfortunately began to fade from the world, their lifespans being much shorter than that of the gods. They died off until the gifts have faded to nothing but legend. That is, until recently, when the Vasali began to awaken. Exhibiting powers, gifts, similar to the second ones of legend, they've risen to a position of prominence amongst the territories of Selvora. Their orders seek to advance Vassal interests, whether those be profit or prophecy, and they interface with governments, churches, even the common folk, though they are seldom trusted. Now in this world of orders and chaos, a new resource has been discovered. Resin is a substance that can be used for a multitude of different things. Anything from creating weapons with the sharpest blades that deal the most damage possible, to catalysts for magic and other technologies. This resource became one of the most valuable, but it was found in the depths, deep beneath the earth. And as it was discovered, so were the party released. Into this world, the player enters as a newly awakened vassal with capabilities skills and gifts far beyond the common folk. Who will you play? That's up to you. You start the creation of your character by choosing their background, their personality, the traits that are intrinsic to them that make them who they are. This is before we go into any kind of mechanics or anything like that. You need to know what your character believes, what order they're going to join, what do they want in this world. Because that is really what helps inform the rest of the character. Right. This sort of narrative, descriptive, creative framework forms the backbone of your character. And then to that, you start to add numbers. So you start with your attributes. Three attributes representing sort of very broad aspects of human capability. You've got sociality, which is your you know social adeptness, how much you can persuade someone or resist being persuaded yourself. You've got physicality, your, well, physicality, how well you can move things or huck stuff. And you've got your intellect, how smart you are, how learned you are. Each of these attributes has a rank from one to five, representing 
minimum to absolute above human vassal maximum. Exactly. And now each of these attributes is also divided into five different skills. And these skills are more specific and pretty much define a little bit more of what you use that attribute for. So in physicality, it could be something like agility, fray, or survival. Each of these is used for completely different things. Agility, just how you're able to move, whether it's climbing, whether it's running, jumping, anything like that. Fray, how you fight. Like, are you a brawler? Are you not, pretty much? <laughs> or survival, which is, you know, how well do you know the world outside? How are you able to endure the elements and other such things? And each of these skills has its own rank, from zero, untrained, to five, representing absolute mastery. But they also have subsets, specializations, which represent even more focused areas of expertise. So for survival, you might have two separate specializations, gathering and tracking, that represent very different facets of that same skill. These don't have ranks, but instead they can give you minor bonuses. But your character isn't only defined by those attributes. They also have three virtues. These are luck, will, and courage. And these are the more intangible aspects of the actual character. So how lucky you are, how much willpower you have, how courageous you can be as you stare into the eyes of the bargain. And these are interesting because unlike the other attributes, they can actually fluctuate throughout the game. You can use your luck in order to succeed on something that you really have to, or you can use your willpower in order to will yourself to be able to do something. And you can deplete those. You can get to zero willpower. You can get to zero luck. But you can also, in ways, regain more of those points. And finally, most spectacularly, you have the things that truly set you apart from the common folk, from the NPCs. You have your gifts. Each of your gifts represents tremendous, some would say magical powers. You know, telekinesis, illusions, mind control even. And each of these falls into one of four different trees, body, mind, illusion, or reality. When you acquire a gift, that represents something that your character is possibly uniquely capable of doing and has a different power level. So a rank one version of telekinesis might be able to lift a five pound object, whereas a rank three telekinesis might be able to move a 200 pound boulder or something like that. So as you invest in these gifts, you're increasing your capabilities, but you're also risking danger because the more powerful the gift, the greater the chance that you will become corrupted when you use it. The corruption itself is a fascinating mechanic in itself because it represents the overuse of your power in a short period of time. So if you use your power too much, you begin to lose your mind. You begin to have these psychological ailments that start to eat away at your mind, at your will, at your humanity. Exactly. So you have to be sparing when you use your gifts. But now that you've got your gifts, you've got your character, how do you go about using that character and using those gifts? So the first thing to think about in Awaken is that the creators even gave us three golden rules of the game. So the three golden rules are 
remember to not insist on skill rolls, either as a DM or as a player. If you have the ability to talk it out, to describe the scene, that is way more powerful than just doing a roll. Second, this pretty much goes uh, along the same lines of the first one. If you are to try to use your sociality skill, but you already have an idea of how you want to dissuade the guard from arresting you, or persuade some one of the thieves' guild to let you in, act that out instead. Be more descriptive in how you do that rather than relying just on die rolls. And lastly, combat in Awaken is extremely dangerous and lethal. So be wary with it. Go in with a plan if you go in at all. So we take all of these three golden rules and what we're left with is a system that is much more narratively focused, much more about collaboratively creating a story than it is about just die roll, die roll, die roll. But it is still a a game system and there are still mechanics and there are still dice. So how do those work? They're D6s, just in case anyone didn't know. It's pretty straightforward. So you've got your attributes and your skills, and anytime you're required to do anything other than a gift, you will be called on to put together a pool of the relevant attribute and the relevant skill and roll those dice. So let's say, let's use this guard example. You're wanting to persuade a guard. So you're going to combine the value that you have in your sociality tree with the value that you have in the empathy skill. You're going to put those together, and let's say those values are 3 and 2, and you're going to end up with a pool of 5 d6s. And you're going to roll those dice, and each of your successes is going to tell you how successful you are. Uh, Success is a 5 or a 6 on that d6, so they're hard to come by, but you can get them, and most rolls only require 1. Exactly. There are some much more difficult ones that will require 2, 3, or more, but once you get to five successes, which can be very, very difficult to do, you can get an exceptional success. Now, this is a very interesting thing because what that does is it gives you a almost a permanent benefit. It like, does something that has a lasting effect on the game, on your character, on the world. Conversely, if you fail with zero successes and also happen to have a one somewhere in your dice pool, you can have a dramatic failure. This is going to cause massive negative consequences. Maybe you permanently jammed the lock you were trying to pick, or maybe you broke your foot as you tried to vault over a wagon. Something that's really going to slow you down and be the worst possible outcome for whatever you attempted. Worst possible outcome other than death. Other than death, yes. Natural ones here or critical failures or any of these are not death sentences for the most part. I mean... Wrong place, wrong time, you could still die. Always a possibility. Now that's how you use your skills and your attributes, but now you want to use your gifts. These are the really special things. You want to pick up a rock or a mug and throw it at someone's head in the bar. With your brain. With your brain. Not not with your fist. Exactly. Good distinction. So what you do here is you have a level for your gift tree, and that level is how many dice you roll to see if you succeed in that gift. That's simple as that. You don't actually add any of the ranks that you have for any of the gifts that you're actually using because those, rather than giving you additional dice for your success, actually just make the power more powerful. Mm -hmm. It extends the 
time, the reach, the radius, any of these kinds of attributes of the gift itself. But as Greg mentioned earlier, it also makes it a lot more dangerous. The reason being that if you fail, whether it's by not rolling enough successes or being resisted by the other person or whatever creature you're using the gift on, you might take corruption up to the rank of the gift that you used. So if you use telekinesis three, for example, you can get up to three corruption points and you have a chance to mitigate those by rolling the gift tree one more time. And when you do any successes that you have there decrease the corruption by one, but anything that's left over goes on to your corruption meter pretty much, which goes from one to 15. So it can be dangerous. And at around seven is when you start getting some really big detriments and you start actually losing those sanity points, losing that humanity. What it is is that threshold of seven that every time you cross it, go back, like you're losing health and you're becoming more and more permanently corrupted. Your body is unable to recover from it as well as it could before. And once you get to a certain level, you just lose your mind and your character and you can no longer play them. They then become completely corrupted, completely power hungry, and pretty much unable to be controlled. Yeah, it's it's a really devastating thing, and I think it really drives home mechanically how dangerous these gifts are and how truly overwhelmingly powerful they are. You know, this isn't just a magic spell. This is you literally tapping into the blood of the gods to channel some sort of supernatural ability. So that's going to come with a, a lot of potentially overwhelming side effects. Exactly. But you can't not use your gifts because of how advancement works in this system. And this is something that Jacob and I both love, Yeah, is that when you successfully use a gift or a skill, you put a check mark next to it. And once you've earned five check marks in a particular gift or skill, you get to increase your rank. And that's fantastic. It rewards repeated use of the skills that you care about. You're not raising some unrelated property. If you want to go out of your way to, you know, let's say you're a ranger, but you want to learn how to defend yourself in melee, you can do that. You can go out of your way and you can train with someone and get successful melee or fray skill rolls. But in a situation by situation, scenario by scenario context, you're going to be rewarded for using the skills that you care about. And I think that's great. Exactly. And this brings us into the probably most important rule, I think, of Awaken. And that's the Victor rule. Victor rule is pretty much about how the picture that you create of your actions of the things that you do is more important and more valuable than just rolling. And with the Victor rule, pretty much what it says is that the GM has the authority pretty much to give you just a pure success if you describe something well enough and like you know mention some details that you look at while searching for something rather than just saying oh i search for something and these automatic successes are importantly marked on your skill tracks as well so when the gm just says yeah you succeed and you can just mark off like more and more towards that skill I feel like that is very, very good incentive for getting into character and really role-playing it. 
And that's an overview of Awaken. Everything from the lore and the world building to character creation and the mechanics that govern play. Let's review this. I mean, I think we've played it on stream before. You have been jazzed about it since you heard about it on the Kickstarter. Yes. Which you were the one who introduced it to me Mm -hmm. because your face is in it. It is. It is. You were very proud. Yep, exactly. I've got a big uh, picture of my face in, in the core rule book. So. It's purple and toothy. Yep, exactly. But, you know, it's me. It's you. I'm but purple yeah. and toothy if you haven't known me. <laughs> I think this is a system, you know, both theoretically and also from play that we really enjoy. It's sort of stripped down almost as a way I would describe it. It's not low fantasy. It builds itself as dark fantasy. Yeah. Which I think is appropriate. Your actions have pretty severe consequences in the case of generating corruption or in the case of combat being very, you know, we didn't go into the mechanics of combat because it's one of the more mechanically precise aspects of the game. There's actually like a formal declaration phase and then an execution phase. Yeah. But it is very fast and it's very deadly. And so this idea that you're encouraged to play around combat rather than through it. Uh, is something that I really appreciate and something that causes you to think creatively rather than kicking in the door. Exactly, exactly. I I think that the game itself encourages so much of this just thinking of what you can do, how your character can do it, and really narrating what they're doing. And I love that it really puts that into the mechanics. Like The picture rule, I think, is one of the best rules that you can have in any RPG. Oh, absolutely. And especially for one where you advance by using your skills it's like show us how you use the skills don't just say you use them Mm -hmm. and i think that the fact that the characters can't just ask for a skill roll the gm has to be the one to ask them to roll it for it to actually happen is very important because it's not like DD where it's like whatever you want to do you just roll the dice and then you either succeed or fail if you just describe it it'll most likely happen you are assumed to be competent Mm -hmm. in the game and that all you have to do is really pretty much figure out any of the challenges that you get right yeah it's very much a system that wants its players to put themselves out there yeah uh, which i think is good because you know having something where you're rewarded for going above and beyond you're rewarded for challenging yourself makes for a night around the table that everybody really enjoys everybody really gets invested in um, and I think gets more out of it as a result. I also just really love the fact that you have those consequences for using the gifts. Like, oh, yeah. They're, they're powerful. And like the consequences are more for using them consistently than they are for using them at all. Mm-hmm. So you should still use them, but it's the kind of thing that you really have to think about. It's like, am I going to use my skill now? Am I going to or am I going to use my gift now? Or am I going to save it for later? Especially because if you fail at a gift, you have to actually take a short rest before you're able to uh, use it again. Mm -hmm. So that makes it really, really important and also can lead to some really interesting situations. (laughs) You were invisible, you snuck into someone's house and then stole something and now you're trying to get out, but your gift of invisibility fails. Right. What do you do now? Yeah, it definitely... (laughs) it forces you into some awkward situations or can force you into some awkward situations. I think there's a lot to like about this system. I think the lore is pretty compelling. I know that 
there's a lot to it. Um, there's a lot of history that you can delve into. There's a lot of sort of contemporary politics. You know, you've got the sort of a contentious relationship between the different Vasali orders. You've got the relationships between those orders and other institutions, government institutions, the church, things like that. You've got sort of this nebulous, ill-defined, but very present threat of the Vargans. Like, there's a lot there, if you're looking at this from a narrator's perspective, there's a lot that you can do. There's a lot that you can play around with. There's plot hooks everywhere. And you can really just kind of jump into this system and say, this is what I and my players want to explore. And that's that's perfectly acceptable because it's so fresh and it's so new and it's sort of this original IP. Exactly, exactly. And I think that all of this is really, I think, aided and enhanced by the artwork that is done both in the book and you know on all the maps on all the creatures everything is so striking and so different like the vargans they look pretty monstrous but it's also not a very common monster look it's not like they're big brutes there it's it's more of the slender man horror than it is the you know brute force horror yeah absolutely but also like just the dress of the different Vasali and like, you know, all the crazy things that they can do. And then the fact that you have these colossi, which are like the Vasali that came together in some kind of a ritual that create this giant colossus of her as an army, like being right is just like, well, that's pretty awesome, but also really friggin' scary. <laughs> it's, it's very unsettling, but it is, I mean, it's a really fascinating aspect of, the setting definitely something that you could explore if you wanted a much more like battlefield oriented game i mean because from what i understand the colossi are they're basically living siege engines yeah so you can go that way with it if you don't want to do the palace intrigue or the like tunnel rats Mm -hmm. gameplay so lots of opportunities there but as much as we love it we've been raving about it no system is perfect it's an adaptation of that thing that we always like to say And I think one of the sort of drawbacks of Awaken for me personally is combat. Uh, We mentioned briefly that combat is mechanically demanding. Uh, Another way to say that is that it's just convoluted. Combat is, it's a chore trying to figure out in what order do people act and how is damage inflicted and, you know, positioning. There's just lots and lots of little fiddly bits that make combat definitely the least attractive part of the system which is in my mind is more than by design it's more than dissuading you from engaging in combat and it's actually just bad combat yeah i think one of the things that for me could use a bit of improvement is the actual character sheet i think it looks amazing right now Mm -hmm. i think that the style of it is great a lot of the things make sense but then you get to the endurance section (laughs) and for me that one is just it took me forever to just figure out how the heck to read it you know it's got like some bigger boxes with some like sub boxes that are smaller but you don't always use them but you sometimes use them and then they're also based on different levels and then you get those different levels from something else and and so all of these things like those weren't really very well explained in the rule book itself so the combination of those two made that whole endurance and health and that kind of stuff just really confusing but along with this i think one of the things that i have a pet peeve uh, about is the fact that uh the specialties and the specializations that you have underneath your skills you only have one line for for one mm, yeah 
And it's like, these are things that you're supposed to be able to keep accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. And so it's like, you're just going to keep writing smaller and smaller and smaller as you add more and more and more. So I think that it would be nice if like some more room was spared for that. Right. Yeah. Looks very nice, but it is convoluted. Readability is an issue. Final gripe for me, I think that several of the gifts are just balanced improperly. There are gifts that seem really great. And there are gifts that seem, frankly, useless. Bone Spike is one that we've mentioned. You get some bonuses to your unarmed combat, which is kind of cool, and bones sprout from your hands, like Wolverine. But you inflict damage on yourself when you use it. Like Wolverine. Like, well, okay, yes. But I'm pretty sure Wolverine doesn't chew through half of his health pool just to get some little spikes coming out of his wrists. That's true. It's, it seems like it maybe wasn't properly calibrated, and that's not the only one of those that seems relatively underpowered. So I think there's just a lot of variability in the gifts that maybe could have used a little more workshopping. Yeah, exactly. That all being said, let's look at the ratings for this RPG. This is the first time we're reviewing an actual RPG. We're going to do the same scale as we normally do from skip it to play it to buy it. So Greg, what are your thoughts? I like this. I mean, for all its flaws, I think it's a really fresh, compelling RPG system. I think it takes a lot of this sort of ethic that a lot of my GMs, a lot of my favorite GMs have brought to the table, which is collaborative narrative, uh, and it actually puts that in the rulebook. And so that's something that I love to see. I like the setting. I like uh, sort of the idea behind the character creation and the powers. This is a solid buy it for me. I haven't bought it yet, but there is a Kickstarter live right now. And I'm going to go do that after we finish recording this. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, I'm going to echo that. I also totally think that this is a buy it for me. I love the game. I think it's a lot of fun. It's probably one of the most interesting RPGs and has, for me, one of the most compelling magic-like systems that I've seen in a while. I really like the fact that when you are playing the RPG, like you have that bit of a, a, a chance of things going wrong like with your magic system and all that kind of stuff. I've always liked the D&D wild sorcerers who have that chance of just things happening. Yeah. And I think that this system really does do a similar kind of thing, but it's a little bit in terms of severity of consequences, a lot worse. Yeah. Going insane is, is a far cry from accidentally turning yourself into a chicken for five minutes. Yeah. I mean... At the same time, someone like the dragon could probably eat the chicken real quick. And Fair enough. I mean, both aren't really good. <laughs> we, we can all agree on that. Yeah. All right. So there we have it. We have a buy it from me as well as from Greg. With those recommendations in mind, we'd like to remind you that there is a Kickstarter going on right now for Awakened Laborian Saga. In this Kickstarter, the new book that is coming out is pretty much a regional book. The seat of the Alliance's power has now been moved to Laboria. And with this book, we start to explore more of the extended regional lore, antagonists and monsters, regional orders, superior gifts, rituals, and expanded rules, as well as some really cool new items and weaponry, and the death cycle, all of which are in this new book. But if you're new to Awaken itself, there's going to be a lot of good stuff there. You are going to be able to find the core rule book as well as some of the many many awesome extras here so definitely check out the kickstarter now but now let's look at some systems that are comparable and i think greg has two this time 
Yeah. So when I was looking through this book for the first time and I got to this section about gifts, the first thing that struck me was how much it reminded me of Vampire the Masquerade. So I have never played Vampire, but I have looked extensively through the source books and I've been present while my friends were playing. Um, he has a whole list of characters in his head. I do. It's Shut up. <laughs> um, but in terms of the way that powers and magic really is represented via the gifts, each gift has its own rank. Each gift falls into sort of a, a tree, like a spectrum of related gifts, as well as just sort of the overall tone, I think, of the game. It's a little darker. It's There's heightened risks that are associated with using your abilities. All of that reminds me very much of Vampire the Masquerade. So if you are into that system and want to maybe branch out a little bit, try something in a new setting, I think Awaken could be a lot of fun for you. Similarly, I think Call of Cthulhu has a lot of overlap with Awaken. They're both systems where you are rewarded for picking a few strengths and playing to those strengths. You know, Call of Cthulhu, you're just normal people in a world where demons and elder gods exist. So, you know, you're never going to be able to have this overwhelming capability, but if you spec hard into one or two things, you can get really, really proficient in those things, and I think Awaken functions very much the same way. There's also similar advancement mechanics uh, in Call of Cthulhu. You know, the more you use a skill, the more opportunities you have to improve that skill. So if you really like that learning by doing type of advancement mechanic, I think Awaken is going to have a lot that's familiar. There's two systems that I think are similar, so maybe if you like those, you should check this out. All right, and there you have it. That's our review of Awaken. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope you enjoyed it. We would love it if you would tweet at us with which order you think you'd be a part of. Would you be part of the Orderly Circle, the Freethinkers in Zoria, the Hedonists of Seabog, the Mercenary Marana, or the Rebellious Sons of Siren? Personally, I think I'd be in the Sons of Siren. And I would be in Azoria, the Freethinkers. Let us know where you think you would fit. Also, join us on Wednesday for our monthly Seafall stream, and on Friday for our weekly Gloomhaven stream. Finally, huge shout out to all of our Greater Wyrm patrons, that being Casey, Carissa, Hunter, Sam, and Meg. We couldn't do it without you. We really appreciate your support and the support of all of our patrons over on patreon.com slash dragonsdemise. Finally, join us next week when we review Mystic Vale.